Once again, good morning. I hate public speaking. <laughs> I do. I do. I get so nervous. So, so I'm going to try, try this a little different. I'm going to just have a conversation. Still nervous, but... Um, so, this is about worry not. Um, and uh, I am completely <laughs> unqualified to talk to you about this. So, uh, let's pray and let the Holy Spirit do the speaking. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come and we uh, talk about this subject of worry. And you tell us, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. I mean, that's hard, Lord. So I pray as it, um, we open up your word and we look into the scriptures, Lord, that you will speak. You will stand at this podium and you will speak to, the, to, your, to your people, to your children, to those that you love and that you will comfort them and you will guide them and you will show them your faithfulness, Lord, so that when worries come, they can give them to you and they can have the peace that goes beyond understanding. <laughs> the one the world is like, how can you be at peace in this situation? So I just pray, Lord, that, that you will fill this room, that you will fill hearts, you will open hearts to hear what you have to say for them, that this message will be exactly what the people need to hear, whoever they are, whenever they may hear this message. I pray all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <laughs> worry. Why am I teaching on worry? Well, mostly because that's what I've been studying on lately. I have a workplace injury that has my work future in the air. I just found out I have uh, type 2 diabetes and all the fears that that brings. So I've <laughs> been doing a lot of worrying. Uh, so I've been getting into his word and trying to, trying to let him comfort me, and so I thought I'd bring that to you. And obviously this is something that's, that's heavy on me. So I want to share what the Lord has spoken to me because I'm not qualified to tell you how not to worry. So this is what he brought to me. First of all, life is hard. This, the scriptures today is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let me read that to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, <laughs> let your request be known to God. Verse 7 is, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So uh, the person who wrote Philippians is Paul. And actually, uh, it's interesting, uh, Brian Fox spoke about the founding of the Philippians church. This is where they followed him through, um, through the, basically throughout the Middle East. And I was going to have him bring up a map so I could seem important, but I'm not worried about that. But yeah, he was, um, he was driven out. He was beaten with rods. And then they tried to, to s secretly push him away because they found out he was a Roman citizen. And to beat a Roman citizen was, well, <laughs> dangerous for those who did it. Um, so Paul knew about trials. He, uh, in, uh, <laughs> in 2 Corinthians 11.25, he lists among many things that he was shipwrecked three times. And he spent a day and a night in the open ocean floating around. And here he is. He's telling you, don't worry. Look on the bright side of your situation and ask God to help you. 
So, <laughs> and as I, was, as I was writing this down, my son Jacob, who's the comedian of the family, the kid cracks me up, I was thinking about how he would pray this, right? So I can hear my son, and he's like, Dear Lord, thank you that I didn't die. Thank you that I have this piece of driftwood so I don't have to tread water, even though it used to be an entire ship. Thank you that I'm surrounded by jellyfish that sting me, but I seem to be keeping the sharks at bay. And considering my you know, rescue, ready when you are. <laughs> and that's, that's my son. <laughs> he brings levity to everything. And I love it. Absolutely love it. So like I said, it seems like it was a bit of jest. But if you stop and you remove yourself from your situation, you can find something to be thankful for. I have type 2 diabetes. It's curable. I have a workplace injury. I'm still able to stand. And there's things to, to keep supporting my family. I can look for the bright side, if you will. Even though it, you know, it's hard, it could be worse. It reminds me of something. <laughs> so you know how like in Siri, right? You say, hey, tell me a joke. And they'll, she'll tell you some corny joke. Well, uh, when I forgot my first uh, Samsung, because I don't like Apple, but I did the same thing. I wanted to see what kind of jokes it would tell. And the first joke it ever told me was the only one I've ever laughed at. So when I said, you know, Google, tell me a joke, it said, dear life, when I said it couldn't get any worse, that was not a challenge. And, <laughs> and that's just it. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it possibly can. And, you can, and if you look for that, you can see how your, your situation isn't as bad as it, as it could be. Sometimes it's hard to do. And I, I, I get that. I understand. Believe me. So in, in uh, Philippians, it says, Paul says, come with, uh, with thanksgiving. So I used to say, come with a spirit of thankfulness. But that's not what he said. It's part of it. But there's more to it. He said thanksgiving. So I was like, why did he use those words? What's important about those words instead of a spirit of thankfulness? That seems to fill the spot perfectly. So I said, well, let's look up the difference between thankfulness and thanksgiving. Excuse me. What, booby trap? There's no lid? What the heck? <laughs> thankful, thankful, thankful you whoever thought of making that easy on me. So the definition of Thanksgiving, I looked it up on the internet. This isn't something that, like, you know, some commentary or something. This is just the internet. It's an act of giving thanks, an expression of gratitude, especially to God, which surprised me to find that definition. Um, the second definition is Thanksgiving Day. So it's not about turkeys. It's not Turkey Day. It's Thanksgiving Day. It's a day of giving thanks. The last definition was an act of rendering thanks or an expression of gratitude. There's those two words, act and expression, for favors, benefits, or mercies, which really does, still doesn't give you the difference between thankfulness and thanksgiving. Until I finished that paragraph, it's used in the Old Testament for acknowledgement by an act of offering. So I know you're like, wait, offering? That means I have to give something to God? Yeah, but you don't want it anyway. What he wants you to give him, <laughs> this is amazing, sorry. He is so amazing. He wants you to give him your worries, your fears, and your doubts. And when you do, that act transforms those things into trust. You are giving him an offering of trust. And trust, another word for that, is faith. 
He wants you to trust him. He wants you to have faith that he's going to get you through this. And the thanks part and the giving part together means that you're saying, thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. Excuse me, to me to yell. Not, not like what you've done. Yes, we're thankful. That's the spirit of thankfulness. But thanksgiving is thank you for what you're about to do, even though I don't know what it is. I know you're faithful. I know you're going to take these worries, fears, and doubts, and you're going to turn it into a testimony to your, your faithfulness, Lord. And thank you for that. That's why he said thanksgiving, because you're coming to him to make your request known. And if you can come and give me your request known in a spirit of thankfulness, that is where thanksgiving happens, and you're being thankful before he ever did anything for you in this situation. Like I said, that's trust, it's belief. I mean, Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, it just says, God said, see the stars? Your descendants are going to be more than those. And Abraham believed him. That belief, just that belief, was accounted to his righteousness to him by God. Just because he believed God. So believe. Come and say, Lord, I believe you're going to get me through this. He probably will not. He may. It's happened. You know, that medical diagnosis that you're like wondering what's going to come back on that biopsy. He may remove you from that situation when you get those results. Not cancer. You know, took me out of the situation. But you may not get that result. You may get a result that is not what you want to hear from the doctor. That's when he takes you through. That's when he says, don't worry. You're not alone. I am faithful to to be alongside you. He wants you to give your burdens to him. In Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your burdens upon the Lord to cast, throw. Here you go. I don't want it. It says, he shall sustain you and he shall never permit you, the righteous, to be moved. He wants them because he knows that those things are going to to embolden you because of his strength that he will have for you. Here's another thing. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, uh, he says, 11, 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest, there's that word again, for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Let's, let's sort of look into this a little bit, what he's telling us, because it's, it's a little hard to, to, to go there and say, here, Lord, you know, let me take on your burden. What does that mean? Your yoke? What does that mean? So <clears throat> there's some interesting things about the words in here. He says, all who labor. So the word for labor is kapeoa. Uh, that's in Greek. It means to grow weary, tired, or exhausted with toil or burdens or grief. I know we've all experienced grief. You can, that, that word probably seems very familiar. So the word heavy laden is fortizo, which is Greek again, and it's to place a burden upon or to load. So one commentator said that the labor, the word labor in this verse implies a burden that we place upon ourselves, something we take on ourselves, something we burden ourselves with. 
And the word heavy laden implies burdens others put upon us. That could be work. It could be expectations, unrealistic expectations. It could be, I'm sure that many things are coming to your mind right now without going too many examples. So these are, this is it. Take, come to me with the things that you've loaded and others have loaded upon you. And I will give you rest. So rest. It's not relief. It, it, it is, but it isn't. Rest is a moment of, of pause. It's that, that, that moment you need to just catch your breath before you keep going. It's not, he's not saying he's going to take you out of it. Like I said, he's going to get you through it. But sometimes we just need to take a breath. Just that moment. I just need a minute. Like, you know, when you're sitting home and there's chaos in the house and you just want to go and close the door somewhere and sit down and just remove yourself from the situation just for a minute. You know you can't walk away from it. It's a, it's a responsibility. It's that burden by your, from yourself. But it's, it's still something you need to handle. It's a responsibility. He says, I will give you rest from these things. He says, take my yoke and learn. So basically, Jesus is saying, hang out with me, and I'll help you understand. You see, this is how we get the rest. We come to him. We allow him to come alongside us, to help us carry that load. When a, a young ox is being brought into the fields for the first time, they will yoke him with the seasoned ox. So this yoke is basically a piece of wood that has two arches, and one ox is here, and one ox is here. The seasoned ox knows what to do. Been doing it for years. He knows the, the, the sounds, the little noises the, the, uh, the master will make on, on when to move, when to stop, when to turn, all those things. He knows those things. The young ox doesn't know those things. The young ox sees Oh, look, there's a patch of, of, of something over there that looks edible. I want to eat that. He'll try and veer off. And when you're plowing a field, that doesn't work. So they, season, they hook him with a seasoned ox, and the seasoned ox will keep the young ox on course. So when he moves, the young ox is forced to move. And then after so much time, the young ox starts to get the hang of it. He's shown by the older ox what to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come, put on my yoke. I'll show you. I'll walk with you, and when you start to veer off, I'll keep you on track. I will, I, I will guide you. I will take you through until you are able to walk on your own. And then, of course, he's always still there. He never, he never, he never leaves us or forsakes us. So he says in a, verse 29, the second half, he says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. So what does that mean? That means as you're going through it, as he's leading you, he's not going to be like, haven't you gotten it yet? He's not going to be some drill sergeant like, okay, you're no good spiritual jellyfish. Get yourselves in line and, you know, haven't you gotten this down by now? You know, he's not going to be like that. He's, gonna, he's gentle. He's understanding. He's going to come and he's going to come alongside you and he's going to gently guide you Sometimes he'll rebuke, but like he says, he's gentle about it. Hey, you know that's not how it goes. You know that's not what you're supposed to do. You know that's not what I want for you. Come on, get back on track. He says he's lowly in heart. <laughs> the God of the universe 
isn't proud. He's not going to come and say, look, how many times are you going to screw up? Look at what I do. Come on, be like me. No, he's, he's like, I will show you. I will, you watch me and I will show you. But he's not going to look down on you because he knows that we're falling broken. He loves us enough to die for us. I mean, that's, that's something. It says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not going to place unnecessary demands or unreasonable demands on you. He will make some demands. Stay on track, follow me, you know? Those are unreasonable because he's, he's going through you with it, with it through you. So he's not going to place unreasonable demands, things you can't do. He's not expecting you to be perfect. That's what the cross was about. He's the one who came and was tempted in every way and without sin. That's what he did for us. In Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, but what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. For, for is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, he's telling you don't worry about anything. But is he saying don't care about those things? Don't, don't, don't even think about it? No, no, no. He's not saying that you shouldn't care, that you shouldn't think about what you're going to eat or what clothes you're going to put on. Yes, put on some clothes that are clean and, and, and uh, modestly cover you. Um, he says, do not, and the word again in, in Greek is miramnaho, miramnaho, which means don't be anxious. Don't worry. Yes, you have a situation you need to deal with. Deal with it. But don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. See, when you're anxious and you're worried, it actually stops you from solving or moving forward in a problem. John Corson wrote in his commentary, he says, does this verse say we should not care about what we wear or about investments or monetary matters? No. The meaning here is that we should take no anxious thought or literally take no worry. The word worry means to strangle. And if you worry about what you're wearing, eating or drinking, about what you have and don't have, you will be tied in knots and you'll be strangled. Your ability to breathe, to take that moment of rest, that just that breath you need, will be un unavailable to you. So, and he gives an example, and I love this example. <laughs> Corson continues, he says, once, I read once that it takes 60 trillion drops of fog to cover seven city blocks. Seven city blocks or 60 trillion drops of fog is enough to shut down an airport. Yet if you condense 60 trillion drops of fog into water, it's a half a glass. A half a glass of water. That's an excellent picture of worry. Like I said, it strangles you. It stops you from moving forward. You, you bring something with only the amount of, say, a half a glass of water worth of, worth of issue, and you start thinking about it and wrestling with it and wondering, how is this going to work out? What am I going to do? I, I can't see how this is can, any way can come out, you know, except for in this bad outcome. And you worry, and you worry, 
And pretty soon, you're fogged in. Your prayer port is shut down. You're not hearing from the Lord. You're not soaring on the wings of eagles, <laughs> right? You're fogged in. Jesus said, don't take any anxious thought whatsoever. Don't let worry strangle you. Don't end up in the fog. And that's good advice. And like I said, you are completely cut yourself off by worrying. That's why he says don't do it. He doesn't understand. He he knows you're going to have trials and tribulations. He says that. He knows that there's going to be situations that are going to burden you. He says that. He says, give them to me and let me bring you through them. Let me help you. Because if you try and do it yourself, you're going to fail. I guarantee you're going to fail. Believe me. (laughs) From experience, I know this. It doesn't say to ignore the issues. Look at the issue. Realize what it is for what it is. Realize that it could be worse. You know, you may not be on a ship, but at least you got the driftwood. You know, you're not float, trying to tread water. Try and see how, how your situation isn't as bad as it could be, and that's hard sometimes. That's really, really hard because you're like, I can't see how it could be any worse. Pray. If you give up worry, then you can do this thing, this thing that, that is so important, which is why we come after church Sundays and pray because it's so important. Pray, acknowledge that God has not abandoned you because he hasn't. And even though you're in a trial, this act of praying and realizing that is not for God. It doesn't serve God no benefit. It's for you. Most of the stuff God tells you to do is for you. Even worshiping him is for you. It actually brings you into a place where he can speak into your life, where he can, can remind you that you're not alone, that you're there in your situation, whatever it may be. It's like, you're like, God, are you still there? And he's like, just like I said it'd be. You're like, okay, can we get out of this situation now? And he's like, yep, take my hand, hold on tight, and follow me. Because it says in his word, he will go before you. He doesn't say, okay, yeah, it's that way, down here, make a left at the gas station, and there's where the trouble ends. No, he takes you, he leads you, he goes through it with you. You're never alone. Sometimes it's pretty, pretty hard to see the outcomes. God has, I, I just, as I was writing this, it, it occurred to me, there was a word that popped in my head, that God has dark vision. You're like, what is that? And so you've heard of night vision, Right? military, SEALs. I had a friend who was in the Navy and they were messing around with the night vision. It's the same stuff that Navy SEALs use. And what it does, in case you don't know, is you put it on and it amplifies the light that's around so you can see. And so as I was talking to him, I said, well, what about if you're in a pitch black room, no windows, no doors, no light whatsoever? They're pretty much useless, right? He said, no, there's a little light. You flip a little switch and an LED comes on. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Some place for the enemy to shoot. There's LED shining in the room. And he said, no. It is so dim that you can stand practically face-to-face with the person and barely make it out with a naked eye, that light. That's how little light night vision goggles or scopes need. N- not, not enough to make you a target, but enough to make this room seem like it's lit up like broad daylight. God has dark vision. <sighs> that is the ability 
to see, <laughs> sorry, this is, this is so amazing to me, my God. This is the ability to see in a darkness that is so black, it seems like it consumes all the light in a room and he can see the way through it. You don't have to, you just can be blind, holding on to his hand. He's like, just hold on tight. I'll get you through it because I can see. I can see in this darkness that seems to consume you and to just stifle your soul that has you fogged in. I can do that, but you gotta be able to give him those worries, to let him go, and that's hard. Oh, that's so hard. But if you get in his word and you, you read his promises, and you pray, you can do it, because he'll give you that strength. Okay, so that was the first, that's worry. So let's talk about what, what happens when you give up your worries. Philippians 4, 7, the other half of this verse, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God's peace is perfect. It will allow you to step out of your circumstances. It will prevent you from worrying, from worry strangling you. It will stop you from being paralyzed and not able to move forward in your circumstance. It will allow you to stay on your feet when you just want to collapse in a heap and quit and give up. It will make a hopeless situation tenable, which means you can handle it, you can get through it, you can do it. Now, when it says it surpasses all understanding, that doesn't mean it's foolish. How can you not, you know, it's not like that. What it means is the world will look at this and they'll be like, how are you not in a panic, in a heap on the floor, in grief, sadness, or fear? So, as I was talking about, the, the thinking about this, this piece that goes to my understanding, and I was trying to relate it to worry, that was more difficult. So I thought, when's a situation when I've had peace that is beyond understanding, that I was able to, to have that from the Lord? And grief, that word kept coming back. So I've lost people in my life, we all have. There were several people that come to mind that greatly affected me when they were gone. And if you'd have looked at me as I gave a eulogy at one, as I spoke about that person's life, as I thought about them, you wouldn't have thought I was affected at all. You might even have thought I didn't, I was, didn't care. That I was just up there saying words. I'm just grateful the Lord gave me the words to say because I wanted to speak his truth. So, okay, if, if, let me just give you this example here just, just so you can get a context. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of the mankind who has no hope. <sighs> I miss them. I still miss them. My father, my stepmother, beautiful, wonderful people who, who loved me as much as any person could. As there were people around who were crying, oh, I miss them so much, I wish they were still here. I couldn't do it. I couldn't want them back. <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, you know, that's, it, it would be selfish. 
Now, I don't want to uh, anger anybody, and there might be somebody out there who's going to see this message or is seeing this message, and it's like, it's selfish to want my mother back, to my father back, my child. It's normal. But let me ask you this. Is it selfish to want them to leave heaven, to no longer be in the presence of God where there's no pain, no suffering? Is it, want, is it selfish to want them to give up that glorified body that isn't subject to death and disease? To not know, know any kind of suffering whatsoever? Just so you won't miss them? You can answer that for yourself. I had to in those situations. And I came to the knowledge that I wouldn't want them to leave heaven for me. No. I was at peace and I was content with the knowledge that they were happier now than they'd ever been with me. And that I would see them again. That's God's promise. His promises are faithful. C.S. Lewis, as he was talking about the death of his wife, to, to bring it down short, he says, I could not wish anything worse for her than to wish she was back here with me. He said that they, they called uh, Stephen the first martyr. But he says, I think Lazarus had the rougher deal. Like I said, it's, it's totally normal to want someone back. It shows that you love them. It shows that you're going to miss them and how much. But the peace that goes beyond understanding can temper that grief. So you can be happy for them even as you are grieving and sad for yourself at your loss. We are talking about Lazarus just now. And so uh, John chapter 11 talks about the situation where Lazarus he had died and Jesus was, was elsewhere and they sent him messaging, hey, he's sick and Jesus didn't leave right away. He said, this is for God's glory. And then he told his disciples, we have to go. Lazarus is dead. We have to go wake him up. So he knew what he was gonna do the whole time. As he, as he, as he gets there and he has this encounter with Mary and Martha, now, these are people, this is a family that Jesus loved like they were his own blood. He loved Lazarus like a brother. Mary and Martha were special to his heart. Um, she anointed his feet with perfume and dried his feet with her hair. This is, this is people that he, he absolutely cherished, their, them being in his life. So they, the family comes up and they're like, hey, if you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. He said, you'll see God's glory. And Martha who is this sort of a flip between Mary and Martha, and you can look this up. She's like, I know that if anything you say, even though he's dead, I know anything, if you say, he'll come back. And he's like, he will, he will be resurrected. And she's like, I know in the resurrection. He's like, no, 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 you're gonna see God's glory. But it says that he heaved in his heart, in his soul. And then he, and he, when he sees Mary and, and all these weepers crying, he says he heaved. And so that sort of tells us that, well, this is what it, it seems to tell us, is that he was so moved by their grieving that it moved him to grieve. And then he says, show me where he is. And then the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five, two words, Jesus wept. And then eleven thirty eight, John eleven thirty eight, he comes and he, it says, then Jesus groaned again, groaned, groaned in himself 
And he, when he came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Let me just pose this possible scenario. What if Jesus was weeping and groaning before the cave <laughs> because of what he was about to do to his friend? He was about to break him, take him out of heaven and bring him back to this broken earth. Because in the verses following this, he says, Lord, I know you hear me. Both so that they can know, I say these things. Lazarus, come forth. For them, it wasn't something he wanted to do. That's what I take from it. There's a quote that I heard, and this just really, this really helped me to have that peace of understanding in, in a grieving situation. It said that the most pitiable thing about Lazarus was that he had his dying to do all over again. Now those people, they knew Christ as our Lord and Savior, all the ones that, that come to mind. If they hadn't, my grieving would have been great indeed because their outcome, not mine, I wouldn't have missed them anymore than I do now, or did then. But their outcome would have been very, very different. That's why it's important. If you know Jesus, tell your family, tell your friends, tell the people you love, because <clears throat> them hearing it from you Maybe the first time they hear it, maybe the last time they hear it, maybe somewhere in the middle, but people need to hear the gospel. Typically, I've heard seven and a half times before they accept Christ. What if you're that time, that half a time? So what's a half a time? That's where you're telling somebody about Christ, and as you're talking to them, they're like, I want to accept Christ. I want Christ in my life. Tell me how to get what you're talking about. Tell me how to get that peace that goes beyond understanding because I don't have it. Help me to understand what he, what he is and what he did and what, how he loves. And then when they're gone or that person's gone, that peace can be there because you'll know they're in heaven and you're going to see them again. I would hate to think that those people had never heard Christ. I told all of them. My dad prayed the sinner's prayer with me after his first heart attack and I brought him to every father's event, brought him to church when he could make it. <clears throat> My stepmother, she knew Christ and as she lay on her hospice bed, uh, unconscious, my wife and I were singing praise songs <laughs> and in this unconscious, she started humming the tune with us. <laughs> She's in heaven. <laughs> that was God's confirmation to me that she was saved. My cousin, he, was, he believed in Rastafarianism and I never heard him confess Christ. And I was, his wife was like, I can't speak. I'm too broken. She asked me to do it. And I was like, Lord, what am I gonna say? How do I comfort people? And I, I don't, he doesn't, didn't know you. And uh, I overheard a conversation with some people on the side that one of his friends 
as he was laying in, in, in the hospital, dying of cancer, he went there and he spoke the gospel <laughs> and he accepted Christ. <laughs> so I was able to come and say pretty much the same I said here, that he's not dead. He is in heaven. He's not suffering. There's no cancer. He has a new body that is healthy and young. And well, I mean, he was young when he died. He was like 30 something years old. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't anywhere near a full life. But that was gave me peace to know because I was grieving because I thought he didn't. And Lord revealed that to me. And I thankfully, because I was able to go up in there and speak about him and speak into the one situation in his life that mattered the most, that he knew Christ and was saved by, by the sacrifice on the cross. So this peace that goes beyond understanding in a circumstance of worry, as you go and you're, you're wondering about what the future is, I mean, we're in a, a, a time of COVID. We're in a pandemic. There are people who have lost jobs that they were counting on retiring from and supporting themselves and their families through a whole, uh, a whole lifetime. And that's gone in an instant. You know, in a matter of, of months, the unemployment rate skyrocketed. And that, that worry, I'm sure, was prevalent. Being able to hand that to Christ, to give it to him, and to trust him, to have that faith, and to know, excuse me, that he is going to take you through it. He's going to provide. He's going to make sure that you're taken care of. Better than the birds of the air. Better than the, the, the flowers in the field, he's gonna make sure that you have the food and the clothing and what you need because that's his promise. If you can give that to him and you can have that faith to be able to trust him, he will never let you down. So he guards your hearts and minds. What does that mean? Okay, so it prevents us, this, this faith, the peace that goes beyond understanding by trusting him in these difficult situations and not worrying and choking yourself out of any ability to, to be productive in this situation or anything. Um, grief and worry can take you away from people who need you to support them. You know, if you're grieving for a lost loved one, there are other people around who are grieving and you can't be in any way a help to them. This will not just help you, but it will allow you to step forward and speak into other people's lives who maybe they're a Christian follower and they're just fogged in. And you can come and say, hey, don't forget. At least there's this. At least they knew Christ. Or, you know, th that kind of thing. So it can guard your heart and mind. What that will do is that will prevent you from going into or at least in from dwelling in a place of pain, fear, and doubt. It gives us the strength to carry on in Christ who strengthens us. Christ says that, that when you're weak, I will be your strength. When you just can't take it anymore, he will carry you through the situation. He will give you rest. He'll like, I got this. He'll pick you up and you can rest as he moves you forward. 
And then when you've, when you've had that rest, when, you're, when, you're, when his strength is, is your strength, then you can step on your feet and walk with him. He's still holding your hand. He's never gonna be like, here you go. You got this now. That's not how it works. If any of this made sense, which I don't know if it did, doesn't really make sense to me sometimes, it's beyond understanding, and you want this peace, you want that, that rest, there's only one way to have it, and that's by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Sorry. You're never gonna get it on your own. It just doesn't work. We're not capable of being strong in every situation, but he is. He gives forgiveness. He looks at our past and our failures and he says, we can do better. Not you, we can do better. And you can have the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your destination. It's not an easy life. I'm not saying you're gonna have an easy life. No. In fact, in some ways it's gonna be more difficult. Be real. You're gonna have family members who, who were like, how can you think, you worry about, how can you believe a God that you can't see is gonna, gonna get you through this financial situation where you're about to lose everything? How can you believe in a God you can't see that's going to, going to heal someone who has a terminal illness? How can you believe that? How dare you Just come to me and say that? So it's not gonna be easy. You're still gonna go through trials and tribulations. You're still gonna have struggles, but he will be there with you. He'll go through you. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy if you accept Christ. That's not true. That would be a lie if I told you that. But it will be possible. The pain you will feel and the worry and the thing, they will be diminished to the point where it's not stopping you. We're always, we're flawed. You know, that, that piece that goes with understanding sometimes can be perfect, but it's, it's rare. We usually hold on to it. It's like if you uh, had a piece of paper and somebody put a drop of uh, super glue on it and you put your hand, you're like, oh, what the heck? And it stuck to you and you finally, you get it off, but there's that little piece that you're constantly digging at. You're constantly like, oh my gosh, this is bugging me. That's, that's what the worry can be, just that little bit. It's not this giant sheet of paper that you're stuck to that's completely making it so you can't even use your hands anymore. It's just that little thing, that you, you, that's just you. That's just you holding on. That's just human. That's just nature. But it, eventually, that little peace will wear away. Christ will have given you complete faith and, and complete peace. And that's because he will have gone through it and you'll begin to see that light that only he can see in this darkness. <clears throat> it, it will give you the ability to get through the hardest days of your life. The most difficult things, the biggest worries. But you have to surrender that life, the entire life, the past, the present, the future. You have to give it to him completely. Here, I trust you with it. <sighs> to do this, there's no, no special ritual. You don't have to light any candles or, or chant certain words in a certain order, in a certain tone or, or rhythm. You just have to come with thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, right? You know, just come be thankful. 
even if it's just thankful for something that's in the future that you trust him with. Although I will say that, like I said, there's no rituals or anything you have to do, but it does help if you start on your knees. That always helps to surrender things to the Lord. And you need to, to, to give him things. You need to pray and, and give him that life, the problems, all of it. <clears throat> Something to the effect of this. And if you don't have those words, if you want to accept Christ right now, you can say this. It's not the words. It's the heart that you come to him with. It doesn't matter how you say it. It's the heart with which it's said. Right? Believe in your heart that he is risen. The words, like I said, you can say these words as long as the heart is what matters. You say, God, I admit that I am lost and broken. Things can't fill the emptiness I have inside. People can't fill the loneliness that I feel. Sweet words and promises of men or women, they don't make it any better. As soon as those people are gone and those words have left, the problem, the fear, the pain is still there. But you say, you will never leave me to suffer alone. You will not just give me strength, that you will be that strength. That I will not be undone by the circumstances that I am in, no matter what they are and how hopeless they may seem. You won't allow it. I surrender to you, Jesus. I accept the gift of eternal life that you promised in your, in your word and that you proved when you defeated death by coming back from the grave. Death has no sting. I surrender to you, Jesus, so that you can give me the victory that you have already claimed on my behalf. You've already claimed victory over death. You've already claimed victory over life. That victory is not just over hell and death. That victory is over every hardship I may have in this life. And I declare to you as my God, my Lord and my Savior, that I give this myself to you fully and wholly. I give you my past, my failures, and my sins. I give you the situation I'm going through right now, and I give you every possible situation that may come in the future. I give them all to you. And I pray this in the name of the precious Son of God, in his precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys for, uh, for coming here and let me speak into this. And I hope that, uh, I hope that it helped anybody who, who heard it. I hope that, um, that you find that peace that goes beyond understanding. Um, Oliverhurst.church, we can hear prayer requests. If you text that welcome to the, to the phone number, um, we can put it on the screen real quick here. Is that possible? I, ha I have it here. I should just look at it. <laughs> yeah, welcome to 530-290-8488. Uh, you can give us your prayer requests. You can have somebody pray with you. We're here for you. Make your need known. Just like you would, uh, you know, in prayer. God bless you.